This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Hornets 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's presentation. He is the master of the soundboard, drum machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, how are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about yourself? Good. Safe to say you're going to be a pretty big player on this week's presentation oh, yes? with some of the numbers that you brought up to me recently. And uh, we'll get into why those are relevant here in just a second. But let me bring in the third member of our team. He is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semi finalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts. Mr. Rod Babers. Rocky, great how are we doing this week, man? I'm doing great, man. Great intro. I appreciate it as always. Quick shout out before we get started on this shout week's show. Um, a lot of people, Rod, in the Austin area, statewide, nationwide, have been wondering how can we support black-owned businesses. Well, I've got one that you oh, can that's support. A good question. I've got one that you can like support, uh, which is run, co-founded by a couple of lifetime Longhorns. Hmm. Caleb Blewett and Tim Cole have a donut company. They sell gluten-free, high-protein donuts. They conceived this idea when uh, nice. they were at Texas, and one of their go-to snacks was donuts, and they said there's got to be a way <laughs> to make this thing healthier for the general public, and they have done it. Uh, they're he, Caleb Blewett and Tim Cole are two of the co-founders of Elite Sweets. You can go to EliteDonut.com. Check out everything those guys have going on over there. So if you want to support a black-owned business, you want to support a couple of lifetime longhorns, EliteDonut.com. Is where you can do I it. I did not know that. Yeah, where is this, so cool. where's the business based? Is it based here? Based in Austin, in Austin yeah. Wow, that's Touch awesome. Because Touch. when he first said it, it reminded me of uh, the cupcake, Gigi's cupcakes, where you got Griffin also and another one, and Arakpo. But when you're talking about loving donuts, it was like that's almost like a modern day millennial Homer Simpson. It's like I love donuts. I can't have to eat donuts, <laughs> but donuts. now you have to find a way to make it no, healthy. No, no, there's to live. definitely a donut boom. I live literally right, as mm-hmm. you know, man. I live right down the street from a. a 
of Shipley's. I yep. mean, I look and wake up in the morning and I smell Shipley's donuts. That's how close that I am to Shipley's. That place has been there forever, too. It's been there forever. I, I saw that kind of Earl Campbell stuff in there. I don't know if Earl Campbell <laughs> like once had ownership of it or what, but I don't know. It's really, it's, I love that Shipley. donut. Shipley! I think Shipley's is better than, um, than Krispy Kreme, but that's a different discussion. But, dude, since the pandemic, that place, the lines have been out down the street. Wow. So there's something about donuts and it's like toilet paper and pandemics. Yeah. It's like toilet it's something about pandemics and donuts. I'm sure they've been their business. I think it's the comfort booming. of it, Rod. It's something that, weird. I mean, who doesn't like donuts? And it's something about it's no it's and you you, you know this now, it's kids. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. something about the donuts, they can eat on them all day. They can eat them for breakfast. Mm-hmm. If they need something sweet later on, the donut is cheap and it'll last the rest of the day. And it's what and it can be dessert for them at night. It's one of those things I think it's the kids and you're Locked down with your damn kids. Yep, and, and these kids screaming. You know what? Go get them. Put the donut in your damn mouth and shut the hell up. And you know what? It also ties with the modern Starbucks world and the idea of you know go get a cup cup of coffee for the parents and you go get the cup and the donuts for That's the kids. And I remember too. Dunkin' Donuts wasn't in Austin until Colt McCoy Col- Col- brought Col- Dunkin' That's Donuts true. down here. So there's some type of donuts, Longhorns like some donuts. It sort of sounds like. And now Shipley's are damn good. Yes, Shipley's so, my favorite. I got to taste Elite Sweets now. So Elite. Sweets.com? EliteDonut.com. EliteDonut.com. EliteSweets.com. 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 Uh, you guys remember that we had all kinds of tornadoes. I remember and I heard that, that weekend. Did it get that mm-hmm. bad, the landing? Was yeah. that crazy? Apparently they were, they were flying home through a thunderstorm. And, like, the two guys uh. that really that really tell the story, like, there needs to be an oral history done of that weekend for the football now program. Now we can laugh at that it. That was yeah. a 24-nothing loss to Iowa State, too. Yeah. Uh, it's the only game I've went on the road to work for Craig, and I was on one of those charter flights with the groups that wasn't the team flight but it was the next one and just seeing because me and jeff we had seen him it was when all the floods were happening here in october so like we were all flying back we didn't even think we'd be able to get there possibly and then we end up having to fly back and it's after that loss and the look on i mean we're talking we're having to get a tarmac open so the team and charlie can get onto this plane after midnight in the middle of a storm and it's just the defeated face right before this is right before the Kansas situation, but you sort of had the feeling well, this is, this the, is, the, this year is the year before. Year before yeah. But yeah, it's that idea. It was the first time wow. that you had that feeling that this isn't going to go the way that you think it. You had a lot of hope, and that was sort of that first similar moment mm. to like a Kansas moment. And I think it was Tim Cole who was quoted on the <laughs> flight home, right? Yeah, the, the two mm. guys that, that tell the uh, almost enjoy telling the story now, they didn't enjoy going through it. Tim Cole and Alex Delatore will both happily tell you now that, yeah, they, they were. Everybody was pretty sure that's when it was going to be all over at that like, point. It was, they said their prayers in the bad. plane. Yeah, yeah the plane. So, they uh, thought, thought the plane was going down. So a disappointing loss. Yes, one of the worst in Texas in the program. Because of, of who you lost to. Yes, and how then, you lost. In that state of mind, you think, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to die. In the storm. And, and my the last going moment down. was me losing to Iowa State. That's bad. Yeah, yes. that's, that's a low point. That's a low you, point. Thank you, God. You were, you were you goose-egged go. 
on the road oh, gosh. to a three-win Iowa State Ooh. team that fired their coach at the end of the year. I, th- I think, yeah. though, you did – was Montgomery a freshman? Oh. I think David Montgomery was a freshman no. on that Iowa State yeah, team. Yeah, but still and, no yeah, yeah, there was maybe uh, Lazard was on that team, and they were just going Lazard up and down the field. Lazard was on that team. Uh, I remember was it Mike Warren maybe was Yeah, yeah, that was the guy. Yeah, Mike back. Warren's a good back, though. He was yep. good. Yeah, he, he was, was good. Cold. I knew it was one of them youngsters. But, yeah, yeah that was like a bizarre time. But you know what? That's how we knew that Texas had lost some of its um, its cachet as mm-hmm. a program, like truly. And we knew before that, obviously, 2010 and everything else. But when he, that guy, they were a three-win team and beat Texas, mm-hmm. and it didn't save that coach's job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, you pulled a huge upset, yes. and it didn't save your judge. Like, no, Texas ain't that damn good. I mean, I mean like, no, they, you don't get credit for that. You don't I get a lot of credit for that. Back in the day, beating Texas would save your job. Yeah. Hell, even, I mean, you could argue it saved Cliff Kingsbury's job. It did save Cliff Kingsbury's, Kingsbury's job. Yeah, it did. You know did. what I mean? Yeah. But, it, man, it, Iowa State decided, nope, it's not worthy. That's not worthy enough. You're out. That's crazy. Yeah, that uh, was arguably, like, one of their biggest wins in school history. Anyway. Didn't even save the job with no, the head no. coach. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, All right. So one thing I wanted to do this week, and, you know, Matt and I talked about this a couple weeks ago now. seems like, I don't know, my weeks and my months are running together now. Mm -hmm. But, Matt, you had brought some numbers to my attention. And I I wanted to bring this up because it's topical in this sense. So I didn't know the NCAA instituted this rule apparently a few years ago that when when you disassociate yourself from an athlete, usually due to NCAA sanctions or something of that nature, at the 10-year mark, it's up to the institution at that point that the NCAA says, look, we'll give it 10 years. After the 10 years, if you want to continue the disassociation, mm-hmm. as you the university, you're free to do that. If you want to welcome that athlete back into the program, you're willing to do that. Basically, the NCAA says we're putting a cap on disassociations at 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's up to the institution. Wednesday, June 10th, mm-hmm. was the exact 10-year mark that Reggie Bush was disassociated from USC. Scrubbed Reggie Bush out of every bit of history in the program. They vacated all those wins, which, honestly, I'm not ashamed. I'm not, I have no qualms about admitting it. I think vacating wins is the dumbest, most insanely idiotic punishment in sports. It's the NCAA. Yeah, I was about to say, it's perfect for the oh, NCAA. Yeah, 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 it can the be the full punishment. They can act <laughs> as if they care, and it means yeah. nothing. It fits And it they fits profited the off of everything already. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. we know Reggie Bush scrubbed from USC. Well, on Wednesday, June 10th, as of the 10-year mark, Reggie. USC welcomes Reggie Bush back. They welcome O.J. Mayo back for basketball as well. But Reggie Bush getting back in the USC family is a story. And anytime you talk about Reggie Bush and those USC teams, you've got to talk about the 2005 Texas team. And when you talk about the 2005 Texas team, you've got to talk about Vince Young. Now, we know V.Y. has already gone on record saying he does not want that 2005 Heisman Trophy. <laughs> got a thanks, but no thanks. He's got a national championship, and hey. everybody knows Reggie Bush won the Heisman Trophy that year, whether he has the actual physical trophy or not. Yeah. But the Vince Young thing, I wanted to come back to this because, Matt, you did the research, and it was phenomenal research, and really – It always is. You know, we've got time. We've, we're going to have podcasts to get you ready for the season. Yes. Right? we got plenty of time to do that, and voluntary workouts on the 40 are going to start next week. But 
basically, I wanted to take this show to, to devote time to Matt to get these Vince Young numbers out because I didn't want this good research to go to waste. Yeah, it was Vince Young's birthday a couple weeks ago. So, you know, we as Longhorn fans, we always talk about, you know, V.Y., man, he had a hell of a winning record because he was 30-17 and 17 with the Titans, and then he went 1-2 and two that one year where he filled in as a backup for the Eagles. So he finished at 31-19, and 19, which a 620 winning percentage in the NFL is borderline elite. And, you know, the memory now, he did it a different way, but it was a very undervalued and misunderstood (laughs) way. Exactly. In spite of Jeff So when you look, I just thought, well, let's look at guys that have 50 starts or 50-plus starts the way that Vince Young does. And Vince's 620 winning percentage. And for context, if you want to look at some of the guys that are like modern players around him, it's pretty oddly similar just looking at the Texas teams. Everybody knows Deshaun Watson and Dak Prescott. Well, Deshaun... He 25 and 15 through 40 games, 625. Dak Prescott, 41 and 26 through 67 games. A little bit larger sample size, a little less winning percentage, 612. But company you keep pretty good, pretty actually elite. Then when you start looking at, okay, well, whose careers have done this? And you go through a list, and I have still haven't been able to find more than 22 quarterbacks with – Similar or better numbers, a winning percentage, all of which are in the in the Hall of Fame, except for Jim McMahon and Danny White. You're talking best all-time winning percentage. You got Tom Brady. You got Roger Staubach. You got Joe Montana. You got Peyton Manning. You got Terry Bradshaw. You got Russell Wilson, Roethlisberger, Kenny Stabler, hmm. Steve Young. And then you're talking about the guys, and those are all over 650. Then if you're talking about winning percentage below 650 down to 620 in the Vince area, well, that area is Aaron Rodgers, Johnny Unitas, John Elway, Norm Van Brocklin. Hmm. Yeah, that's one I didn't see, but that's one that you know he's in the Hall of Fame. Jim Kelly, Bob Greasy, Brett Favre, Bart Starr, Hmm. Lynn Dawson. And all of those guys are in the Hall of Fame except for Jim McMahon, Danny White, and I've learned a little bit about this guy, David Woodley, who got his job taken from yeah. by Diane Marino. Yeah. Like they, but, and he actually had a good winning percentage. is quite comparable of a career. He was 34 and 19. It's about the most uh, parallel you can find between quarterbacks where you had a good career and then you never heard of the guy again. Mm-hmm. But that's the anomaly. Otherwise, you're talking about, is that, I think it's 19, or no, it's 17 Hall of Famers ahead of him. Probably me already putting Brady... Wilson, Roethlisberger, and Rodgers in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. yeah. And then Joe Theismann is right next to Vince with a 621 winning percentage. Also, career cut short for a different reason. And, you know, that era we're in right now is just out of control with your Lamar Jacksons, Jimmy G, and Mahomes because they've started off their career over I'm almost mean, 800. They're yeah. all like, you know, 19 and 3 or 21 and yeah. 5. So you got some good company in that round. But if you want to really jump into it and take a deeper look, you look at the guys who are worse than Vince in winning percentage. Look at guys like Dan Marino, Tony Romo, Randall Cunningham, Andrew Luck, Donovan McNabb, Y.A. Tittle, Phil Simms, Steve McNair, a mentor of Vince's, Drew Brees, Alex Smith, Troy Aikman, Matt Ryan, Philip Rivers, Michael Vick, all these guys are all across the board. You know, there's a few names you can throw in. Give some credit where it's due to your Jay Schraders or your Stan Humphreys. Stan, Stan Humphreys made a Super Bowl, you know, but like, <clears throat> when you start to look about Super Bowl quarterbacks, I – sort of clicked in my mind. I was like, well, you know, we're talking about Vince at a 620 winning percentage, but he did this with Jeff Fisher. Jeff it's Fisher. like it almost had a detriment to the situation because yeah. who, what could he have been if he not only fit or had something that was actually 
aligned with his skill set or Agreed. even understood or whenever he's having maybe uh issue or getting across his point to Jeff Fisher it isn't almost like rebelled against where there becomes a conflict right. and he's becomes a problem at one point as oh, he yeah. was viewed in that locker room which is just absurd okay hold so the, hold, just let, let's let's look just at the next one right there so uh, Matt's got another data set so Rod, I want to get into this real quick. So you look at those win percentage numbers, and we'll get into the Jeff Fisher dynamic because Matt's next data set deals directly with the Jeff Fisher. Uh, and how good Vince is right. in comparison. So I was talking to Craig Way about this, which, by the way, you can hear myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on the horn on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And then you can get Rod later in the day on the Triple Option Afternoon Show with himself, nice Rod Kellner, and Kevin Dunn. Um, Craig and I were talking about this, and, you know, it, it's not like – it just kind of bothers me when people look at Vince Young's NFL career and call him a bust because he most certainly wasn't a bust. Did he have a great career? Was it was the, did the career live up to the hype? Live up to the expectations? By no means, it, it it did not. It fell well short. But Vince Young is one of those quarterbacks, Rod, that he's really like in in this weird limbo of he's not a bust, but you can't really call him a success either based on the body of work compared or expectations. to what the expectations were. Yeah. No, he's definitely not a bust. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that's just, um, you know I mean? I, if you think you got to break down the, the nuances of his career, I think that's kind of what Matt's doing right there and just how successful he was within a system that was not built around his strengths. I mean, that, that organization, yeah, the owner drafted Vince Young and wanted him, but Jeff Fisher did not. We know yep. that now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that, was it Norm Chow was yeah, the offensive he, he coordinator? Yeah, he hired Matt Leiner's offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And and, and here's a great stat for and, and by the way, this is it's an NFL thing, too. It's not just a yeah. Jeff Fisher thing. Uh, and two, This comes from Pro Football Focus, so I just make it up. In 2006, there were Based on pro football focus numbers, there were 75 rush attempts that they classified as a zone read rush attempt. Mm-hmm. In 2014, there were 1,009. So yeah. <laughs> think about how different the – and now, hell, I don't even know what the numbers are. It's probably in close to 3,000 or something like mm-hmm. that. That gets really, really high because almost everybody uses when they do uh, run pass option. They're doing it from a zone read look, and I don't know how they classify that, but mm-hmm. you guys get the point. And VY came along, and I always said he was – he came along in the wrong era. He was about five to six years too early. Mm-hmm. He re- and, you know, it helped him win a national title yep. because it, it, it was ahead of strange to watch someone play that style and he be as big and as, let, as, as athletic as he was. But in the NFL – and Andy Reid said this, not me. So I'll quote Andy Reid. Andy Reid said five years ago, mind you. So he mm-hmm. said in 2015 – he said the NFL is five years behind college football. Yeah, and he, so he's he the said one that, that too. He said Vince that. So job. imagine where it was 15 years ago when Vince Young came out. Hell, the NFL probably was 10 years behind college football back then. And now we're in an era where there is no college offense or NFL offense. They're all the same. They're all using the same concepts. Mm-hmm. It's just the most effective style of offense. Hell, now even the air raid is officially in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, quarterbacks who are, you know, who are shorter than five foot ten, you know, are in the NFL. The NFL now is thinking outside the box, and they didn't do that enough when V.Y. was there. Lamar 
Lamar Jackson, if he was if he was in the NFL five years ago, he'd be playing wide receiver. I probably would be a bust. Yeah, and I'm, be told. Uh, but because he came in at the right time, John Harbaugh said, you know what? Let's build this offense around him. I'm going to put all the cheat codes in him. We're going to run the most RPOs. We're going to put him in a pistol more than any other quarterback in the NFL. We're going to run. A ton of zone read. We're also going to, uh, you know, have a power running game, all right, with, with Mark Ingram in the backfield. All these different things they combine to make him successful. I don't think Lamar Jackson is successful with every team. I think mm-hmm. he's successful right. with that team because they were willing to devote and commit that system to him. And, and, and John Harbaugh, by the way, said they just – he said it's the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. He said, dude, there were things we, – we, we held a lot of things back because we were like, I don't know if he can handle it. Now we know the MVP of the NFL can handle it. So look out, NFL, because yeah. that also had one yeah. of the best drafts out there. You know, my man Kyle Shanahan talked to me about this too with RG3 back in the day. Mm-hmm. The NFL wasn't ready for RG3, and not in the way that the Shanahan clan was going to use him. And it, by the way, Mike Shanahan didn't want RG3. Mm-hmm. They, they preferred Kirk Cousins. We know that both Shanahan's preferred Kirk Cousins. But when the owner made them draft RG3, they still drafted their quarterback later on, two quarterbacks in the same draft, <laughs> which ended up working out. Yeah. But they said, okay, if we're going to do it, we got to go all in and do it. Yep. We don't even really want this guy. That, that's a mistake that the Tennessee Titans didn't make. Norm Chaucer said, listen, if we're going to do it. we got to go all in. Let's go to Greg Davis and ask Greg Davis, hey, help us build this damn offense around VY. That's what, that's what Shanahan, the clan did. They mm-hmm. went down, the Shanahan clan went that's down to Baylor, and they said, our brows, who didn't even have a physical play, but they said, listen, we know you don't give anybody the keys to your kingdom, but you know you want everybody to know about this offense. You need RG3 to be successful at the next level. It's going to help Baylor. It's going to help your reputation. Give us all the concepts. Give us everything that you did to weaponize this guy. We're going to take it to the NFL level. And you could argue that, Hell, the that was the first at true air raid in the NFL at the time, and you could argue that nobody really before that, you know, because around the same time as Russell Wilson, around the same time mm-hmm. as Colin Kaepernick, that that was the evolution of that. All right, we're gonna we, we're all gonna experiment with all these guys. We're gonna bring all these college concepts to the next level. Hold on, just hold on, real quick, Matt. Like, when did it change in the NFL? Well, like, Andy Reid changed it. What's Andy Reid changed. Andy yeah, Reed. Andy Reid back in the day, he brought in um, Chris Alt out of Nevada to yeah, work Kaepernick that pistol. Um, yeah, that, exactly. And, and that, yeah, what, what, what Kaepernick was in, That's he did that. Man, with Jamal, because I remember Jamal Charles. I remember a quote from Jamal Charles mm-hmm. after he had been in training camp with Chris Alt, uh, who was basically their offensive analyst and a consultant, and they brought in the pistol. And they wanted to use the pistol. And Andy Reid's been doing that for yeah. years, man. Andy, Back with so I Alex think, Smith. Yeah, I think Andy Reid's the guy that's been so, behind the scenes. And he gave Vince shit. the job after and he the gave Vince the, and the Michael Vick thing. Like well, he's credit, been the one so pushing. Andy Reed. This how much thing, credit do we give? We talk about John Harbaugh with Lamar Jackson. How much credit do we give Jim Harbaugh? No with doubt. What he did, taking a guy, really taking Alex Smith, and you look at some of the stuff the 49ers were doing at that point. It wasn't true like Urban Meyer power spread offense, but it was a lot of those same concepts mm-hmm. Alex Smith was successful with oh, yeah. under Urban Meyer. And then Kaepernick then took his up. job. Yeah, and then when he gets hurt and, and Kaepernick comes in, then Harbaugh's just like, okay, we're doing a little bit of run game. Now we're going to turn the volume from two up to 50, and we're going to 
be what we're going to be offensive. And that was no, good about those people being like the Harbaugh's or the Reeds being not afraid to go against the norms within the big the NFL because it really is there right. is a race issue with the front offices that's been so heavily documented over the last 15 mm. years. And when before you even brought up Lamar Jackson, when you're talking about just you know front offices at the time and Vince being so far behind his time, you know what was going on in those front offices at the time? Bill Pauline was winning six-time executive of the year because that was just what was standard belief. It was not ever questioned what type was their prototype. It's almost unbeknownst to them that their prototype involved a white traditional pocket quarterback. So it's just something they're unfamiliar with, don't know how to use the tools. So it takes a good coach that understands football and right. only cares about what they're doing. People like Harbaugh, people like Reed that have legitimacy in the league that aren't fearful of acting different and doing something different in the league. And that's why that's the common thread between Lamar to Kaepernick to Alex Smith that then connects to the Andy Reed, which had him and had Vince Young, and it's the same type of idea. Right. And that's the, the people that weren't listening or weren't open or just don't even see that as the way that they coach football only because stylistically they never learned it that way. And then the world changed and you started to put people in those positions. That's where like you wish that Jeff Fisher wasn't the guy in charge through the peak times. And we'll get to the yeah, main reasons right. why so, later. So it's kind of the evolution of quarterback play is in terms of what we see now, Rod. Am I right when I say, look, we've seen coaches kind of throughout time try to buck the trend. We saw, you know, go back to Buddy Ryan with Randall Cunningham, and he just mm -hmm. decided, hey, I'll just cut mm -hmm. Randall Cunningham loose. And then, but then whether it was Randall Cunningham or Steve Young, when you've got these athletic quarterbacks that have this dynamic skill set, whether it's a John Gruden or a Bill Walsh or whomever, it's like, okay, let's rein that in and have you fit, to Matt's point, mm -hmm. kind of in this little box that we in the NFL view a quarterback should fit in. That was part of the Vince Young problem. Mm -hmm. And we always saw Pete Carroll buck the trend with Russell Wilson. We just talked about the Shanahan's with RG3. But we're saying Andy Reid was the guy that said, you know what? I'm not going to fight it anymore because this is where the game was going. And by the time everybody else catches up, I want to be five steps ahead. I think Andy Reid was thinking about it. And I agree with you about the, the hardballs, period. I think just the hardballs. They're yeah. just a very forward-thinking, progressive bunch in a lot of ways on and off the field. But I think you I think you go back to what Andy Reid was trying to do with Michael Vick. I think he was visualizing something. I, if you go back and watch the film, I bet you'll see What some was of spawned the, with McNabb because he was a good traditional quarterback, but then the ideas of I think the ideas of having a true, true. dual threat guy there, mm -hmm. I think it all it's always enamored. It's always been something that he has been enamored with. Mm -hmm. But until I mean? he got with Chris Alt and decided this is now basically it took him getting fired in Philly to figure out, okay, yeah, I've known much. kind of what I wanted to do. I now I, I know how I need to go do sort it. Sort of like exactly. Mike D'Antoni in Houston That's now, and it's the idea that he the, – what's uh, Mike D'Antoni's biggest regret? He didn't go all in on this strategy. He said he should have went all in earlier. Exactly. Before everybody caught on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that and Andy Reid sort of yep. was because he okay. had earned, like, the ability to he do was. so with his but he still 80s too late. and 90s. He still waited and too he's late. still – exactly. He waited and, like, too late because the rest of the NFL now – 
Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, Kyla Murray. Mm-hmm. Can't, they're all over the place. All yep. these you're supposed to have that he wanted to be. He wanted to have Michael Vick. That he mm-hmm. did. I mean, that was the whole point. Yeah. He wanted to have that guy and be the only have that be your seismic uh, systematic advantage, mm-hmm. right? That no, no, we got something better than everybody else, and nobody's got this. And he's got that actually in Patrick Mahomes. He's actually got that yep. again. Now, but now the next, the reincarnation of a Michael Vick, a guy that's just next level. We just haven't seen tools combined like that the quarterback and position ever. Like, like I've said about Patrick Mahomes, I think you take the best the best parts of Randall Cunningham and the best parts of Steve Young. Mm-hmm. And, and I, that, to me, is what I see when I watch Patrick Mahomes yeah, on Sundays. You, and while we're on the point of talking Andy Reid, you know, Harbaugh John was on that staff from 98 to 07 with the Eagles. That's a decade that he's with. I think he's an Andy Reid guy. Yeah, I forget. yeah, there you go. I mean, it, makes it, sense. it all yeah. goes back in. So Andy Reid was with Shanahan. Like, it, it's it all, all incestuous almost. So, it's crazy. So, taking it back to Vince Young. Like I said, we look at VY's career in the NFL, and he went to two Pro Bowls. He was comeback player of the year one year. He was offensive rookie of the year. <laughs> it was not the career anybody expected him to have, but by no means was it a bad career. We just went through the win percentage numbers. And when you talk to people about VY, the first thing they say, why it didn't work out, Jeff Fisher is the name, the <laughs> entity, the idea, the culprit, whatever label you want to put on Jeff Fisher He's terrible, as the man. number one reason why Vince Young did not truly prosper in the NFL. And I was blown away by these numbers. Not just not just Fiwa though. Mm-hmm. A lot of quarterbacks. Jared Goff was <laughs> exactly. above the Jeff Fisher. Exactly. Yeah, which context. is why, yeah, why, why he wanted, Nick Foles. Which is why I was blown away. <laughs> the, and this is the this is the reason. If if you are somebody who believes Yes, Vince Young could have had a much better NFL career had it not been for Jeff Fisher. <laughs> the research Matt is about to unveil is should be your number one talking point from now on if that's the, the side of the oh, fence where you want to stand. Yes, because, so you know, you look at his year. He, first off, never had a losing record with Tennessee somehow. Vince did, which is still mind-boggling. Like, he went 4-4 mm, four and four his last year mm. there. The year before that, he was 8-2, and two, which was his Pro Bowl year you cited. That's also the Chris Johnson 2,000 yards. Like, oh, that's only happened yeah. one that's other time. That's when they saved the season because Kerry Collins, they were dead imploded with Kerry yes, Collins. Yes, because right? Kerry Collins games, was 0-6. 0-6, oh and six. Oh and six. Yes. Just like 59 nothing loss. I remember that. The then also yeah. had an 8 and 5 rookie year, 9 and 6 overall. So when you start looking, I was like, well, you know, these other quarterbacks around Jeff Fisher, you know, what? how, how did they perform? And I was like, there's a common thread here. These and other ju- quarterbacks. And what you just pointed out in that 2009 season, mm-hmm. Vince Young goes 8 and 2. Yes. Kerry Collins is 0 and 6 as a starting quarterback. Yes. Okay. And then the next year, Vince doesn't get the chance to be the guy. He ends up having a better record. Then Kerry Collins, who went two and five, and Vince went four and four as they were just alternating duties. But I started to be like, wait, so Vince Young, overall, a guy that with Jeff Fisher has a 30 and 17 record. Let's go and look at these other quarterbacks that with other coaches actually have became Super Bowl quarterbacks. We're talking Super Bowl champion Nick Foles. We're so talking. You, you, hold on, before you do, you have Kerry Collins' record, like Kerry yes. Collins overall. Okay, what is Kerry Collins' record as a Titan starting quarterback the same time as Vince Young? Kerry Collins fifteen and seventeen. Vince Young thirty and seventeen. Okay, that's crazy. And they battled. They played the exact same years from two thousand six through two thousand ten. Okay. Yeah, Jeff Fisher. Wow. 0-3, oh, 1-0, oh, or not Jeff Fisher, uh, basically, Kerry Collins and Jeff Fisher. But 2-5, and 0-6, oh, then you had the 0-3, oh, a 1-0, oh, and a 12-3. and three. So, overall, you look at these guys, Kerry Collins, a guy that made a Super Bowl with another coach, with the Giants, mm-hmm. that Jim Fossil team. You have Jared Goff, who made a Super Bowl 
with another coach once he went to McVay. And you have Nick Foles, Mm -hmm. who won a Super Bowl with another coach. But with Jeff Fisher, what were those guys' records? Remember, Vince is 30 and 17. Kerry Collins, the exact same teams, the exact same years, was 15 and 17. (laughs) Vince had double the wins and the same amount of losses. That should be enough. Jared Goff, before he ended up becoming the Super Bowl quarterback runner-up, he was 0-7 under wow, Jeff Fisher. That's crazy. Nick Foles, who became a champion Definitely. and is being employed all over and was the one that Jeff Fisher's like, well, I'll, I'll, uh, we drafted one, I'll trade for one, this one worked. He was 4-7. Wow. And he's a Super Bowl champion. So the combined record of hmm. those other quarterbacks under Jeff Fisher, all of which have played in Super Bowls, they are 19-31. and 31. Wow. Vince was the reciprocal the in his career, 31 and 19, wow. but 30 and 17 with Jeff Fisher. He went one and two with, it was Andy Reid in 2011, and those were even some remarkable one and two. He beats Eli in the Giants, I believe on the road, which is, this is like the year that they end up going on, I believe, to win the Super Bowl. Hmm. Then you end up having the next week go to Foxborough, Vince Young throws the ball 48 times and throws for 400 yards because Belichick is not going to let Vince Young beat you with his legs. So he lets Vince Young throw 48 times for 400 yards. Nobody even knows that he ever did that in the NFL. Then the next game was sort of a bummer of a way for it to have the career ended was Legion of Boom, the young guys in 2011. They yeah. picked him off four times, and yeah. that was basically you give them one stain and they stomped it out, and it's just unjust. It's absurd to be remembered wow. the way he is. 30 and 17, Kerry Collins, 15 and 17. But those other Super Bowl winning quarterbacks being 19 and 31 is just dumbfounding, especially when Vince's exact NFL records, the total reciprocal. So, wow. you know, Rod, I mean, that's, cr- that's, v- that's great freaking research. And VY, VY has admitted in, wow. in the years since that he didn't do himself any favors. No, he didn't study he didn't. the game the way he should have. He didn't take it as seriously yep. as he should have. Uh, yeah. Could have been a better student. Could have been a better teammate. Could have been a better leader, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. We and know, those things are brought up by better <clears throat> teachers a lot, too. We know the issues VY has had. Yeah. But when you look at it in the way Matt's research frames it, it's, it's almost like you've got to give Vince Young more credit than you otherwise would because playing for a head coach who didn't want him, for an offensive coordinator who didn't want to adjust a system to him, and – when the other quarterback he was shared a roster with wasn't nearly as successful based on the entire body of work, he went, he went, ended up winning 30 freaking games as a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's crazy. 30 and, and 17. All of the, that working against him. All that, thing work, all that working against him. All while Kerry Collins and, and Jeff Fisher have their arms crossed staring at him on the field. Jeff Literally. Fisher. So, yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing, man, because we all know Jeff Fisher is – Jeff Fisher is an average to – Below or maybe slightly above average coach. It's, he looks like he's reality. a guy on a NASCAR track, not an yeah. NFL. No, head I mean, coach. I'm not, I'm, I mean, go get the record. I'm not yeah. making that up. I mean, he, I think he coached what twenty something seasons, and I believe he had a winning record on like man. It's it, it was I like want to say he has a winning time, record of like five times. Like he I, doesn't I believe have a winning it's record after the often. Oilers. He only had one above 500 record. They're all he got in with a couple. He was 500 eights. or below. Uh, I mean, exactly. I'll, I'll go look it up. But I'm pulling it up. Yeah, uh, my my point is that. So 
he's got the average coach, but not only that, the average coach who doesn't like him, doesn't want him, and working against him in a system that is not doing him any favors. The system is actually counterproductive to his skill set, and he's probably hostile in that locker room because it is a quarterback competition. So he's not getting any help from Gary Collins, and of course, he didn't help his damn self either in the midst of all that. And we know he probably was partying, getting his party on because he was he, the man liked to party. In the midst of all that, man, 30 and 17. Yeah. So the truth is, if you just look at it, I mean, I, I understand VY's frustration because it's supposed to be a meritocracy. They essentially were, I mean, they were rigging the game against him. There's a different rules The game was rigged against him. And he's like, I'm winning. Yeah. Like, I'm a winner. Build, the, build it around me. I'm a winner. Like, I win. That's what I do. Don't worry about all this other periphery nonsense. Even that's Don't worry about the fact that my game doesn't look like the game that you're accustomed to with your prototypical quarterback and the archetype. Just, I win. Mm-hmm. This is what I do. Yeah. Yeah, and they should have went down to freaking Texas, and they should have started talking to Greg Davis and go, all right. Give give us give give it to us. Give us give us the rundown. Give us all the concepts. And they should have been the first ones in the NFL to be to to hybridize the schemes. And they weren't. They were just they, b- b- stubborn. And it's surprising during Honestly. this same so simplified era sad, where it's almost came down to hey, you got rings or no rings. And it was like oh, MJ got rings. He's the best all time, you know. And then for Vince, it was like you're winning games. Up, oh, it don't matter. That's sort of sort of absurd. I did the numbers on Jeff Fisher since 2004. He had two winning seasons. But he's only. I was gonna say he didn't have many overall though, right? Uh, no, six. You were right Is in his six? whole career from '94 on. But and then from yeah. 2004 through 2016. <laughs> so you're talking 13 years, and he had two winning records <laughs> above 500. <laughs> But That's you know, amazing, the, the one you know when we talk about these quarterbacks, uh, just these quarterbacks, these athletic quarterbacks that, and, and it's weird, Rod, when you look at, um, you look at, take it back to Texas and Tom Herman. There's a reason why in the the pro spread offense, why Tom Herman, one of the differences he talks about when he talks about his offensive ideology, you know, he talks about where it's pro style protections and and passing game concepts, but. We want to go from the shotgun, and we want to have the quarterback run the football because having that plus one in the run game, mm-hmm. it's the it's one thing a defense can't consistently account for. Something good is going to happen if you force the issue with the quarterback run game. It's weird just to think how offensive philosophy has changed from we can't get the quarterback hurt and they've got to stay in this box and they've got to be this to where, no, we're going to – not only are we going to take advantage of that, hell, we're going to exploit – an athletic quarterback, Showcasing. a guy that can make things happen with his legs and that can be a part of a run game. Um, have you seen the Michael Vick 30 for 30 yet, Rod? Uh, it was a while ago, right? I yeah. might have yeah. seen it. It was a while ago. Yeah, I didn't watch the second part with the Second dogs. part's tough. I, didn't, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I haven't finished it. It's that Cause, tough. Because well, it's, like, it's like two parts, but it's like five hours. Like I just didn't have And it's the to... part on dog fighting. Right, but I watched <laughs> the first part of it. Um, Not as much dog fighting. No, I watched the first part of it, which is just football. And, you know, you hear, like, just thinking about how Dan Reeves handled Michael Vick. Like, I don't think we gave Dan Reeves enough credit for – because <laughs> when you think of Dan Reeves, you think of, like, old school, just kind of buttoned up traditional. It's like, no, man, you, you, you've got this – this special weapon, yeah, a quarterback with running ability like we've never seen before, like cut him loose. Dan Reed said he couldn't deny it. He was like, yeah. I know, I saw him on the field. I yeah. know you're going to tell me that we can't focus our entire team around this guy. And then you compare that with Jeff Fisher and Norm Chow, who just were like, 
I don't know, two square peg round two year olds throwing a fit in the corner of the room that they didn't get the guy they wanted, and you know, just basically politics got yeah. Jeff Fisher, SC guy. I mean, everybody knows that too. Like you said about politics, got in the way. Like you basically, you sabotage your own job just (laughs) because out of spite for your owner to try to make a point. Hopefully, out of just maybe ignorance and not like spite. No, I'm just well. Just (laughs) it's now looking back, they just refuse to. You know, do the research. Honestly, the mm-hmm. research would have told you that if you'd have been doing the, you know, the breakdown of the concepts and where the NFL was going, Vy actually could have ushered in that next wave of quarterbacks. But he didn't, and it happened like five years later when Cam Newton came along, and then Cap, and then Russell Wilson, and then and then everybody figured out. And it's like, dude, you could have been five years ahead of the game. Who knows what kind of advantage that could have given you? You could have ended up yeah. making a playoff run with that kind of career. advantage if you'd have truly like, you know what? We're gonna go all in on this zone and everything, man. He's good at it. All right, you know what? We got Chris Johnson in the backfield too. The NFL's not gonna see this coming. You could have been Baltimore before Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's what I. It's like I don't understand. I just I don't. It's just conversation we've had. And maybe and also maybe we're not giving the owner credit because maybe the owner saw it. And moment was like, no nah, man, trust me, this guy's the future. Well, in, and they you didn't know, see it. It's a conversation you and I have had talking about this situation. It's very simple when it comes down to a guy like Jeff Fisher. When you look at the evidence, it means he wasn't open to new ideas, to new thought, and it's sort of where there was. I always use the you know comparison. It's like NFL was like religion, and if you question it, if you believe in something. And something, and you can feel as if you're doing it strictly out of the good nature part of your heart or think it's right. But if you're totally closed to any type of open or new ideas or thought processes, it can be dangerous to you because yep. you are not, you're in theory, you're totally admitting true. you're closed minded by your actions. Yep. And if you do that, you at least want to listen and hear people and hear what the perspective is. And if you're smart enough or good at your job, you're going to actually calculate those things and actually make sense of you. If you're close to that, the way that, you know, you end up having it, the NFL treated it, it was like, no, this is, this is new, dangerous thinking. Y'all can't be doing this. And, and it's only because they misunderstood maybe what was happening. And, and there's no way that you could see it as a threat because your opponents are going to do it to you. So you should be listening just in defense or in survival. And instead, they just really ignored the movement that was happening across the country. Yeah. And all their workforce was streamlined to do something. And, I mean, when you come back to the plus one not only is it plus one so simple because that's what you just get if the guy does it but then when you incorporate these things where you defense or you stress that last defender right and it becomes a run pass option it becomes a zone read to where not only do you have the one but now the one is defending in theory the two because you're playing that one extra piece off of something so it becomes literally you don't have enough people to do it that's even one more player you can add schematically in those situations like yeah it just amazes me, Rod. Like totally offensive agree. football, and you know, kind of the football theory part of it. It's not that difficult when you think about how things are designed to work. Like I know, you know, nobody likes talking about them for obvious reasons, but just take a look at like the Art Briles veer and shoot offense, which we got a taste of mm-hmm. at Texas with Sterling Gilbert for one year. Like, oh my gosh, this is revolutionary. Well, here's basically what the veer and shoot is like, and I'm simplifying it like in the most like dummy layman terms I can right now. Yeah. Basically Art Brow's thought process in the veer and shoot is look, I'm gonna flood the field with speed. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make you cover the entire width of the field. With the speed I've got, I'm gonna make you cover the entire length of the field. And 
because of at the high school level, you don't have elite offensive lines. What's one scheme everybody can block? Mm-hmm. Everybody can block the Veer scheme. It's just basically yep. you just took the old Bill Yeoman Houston Veer and did it from the shotgun and stretched everybody horizontally. Mm-hmm. That's, yep. that's all it is. Pretty much. And, you're, and the idea of football <laughs> it added is taste to it. And the idea of football yeah, is tempo. to what? Get open if you're going for a pass. What does that mean? Space. You just want to get in, in instead of having to have elite athletes when these little margins of space, you schematically, just because of the geometry of a field, can stress all aspects of the field, which creates so much more space for your players. It's so simple, but it's worth still pointing out. Yeah. I, I don't know, Rod. I just started thinking about Vince Young's NFL career. No, it's, it's sad. No, actually, I'm, it, 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 I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of depressed about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sad for him. I, obviously, V.Y., as – He's he's let his dark passenger uh, that we all have right. at times make bad decisions. Um, but <laughs> I would also maybe have a dark area of my mind to go to if I'm doing this at work and I'm not well, being listened I, I, to. That's what I'm saying. Like I, I mean, the depth of it is heavy. Yeah, that's what I'm just saying. Like I I know his frustration. You know what kind of competitor Vy is, and Vy I'm telling you, he would always say even when he was playing in the NFL at the time, he's like, man, I think I I, I would you know to have conversation with him, and he still thought he was going to be an NFL Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I'm not joking about it. And remember, well, even Mac Brown, the company yeah, even keeps. Mac Brown said, Mac Brown was like, he's going to be an NFL Hall of Fame. Mac Brown said that. And, mm-hmm. and I'm telling you, Vy in the NFL at the time, even going through things like, no, I think I'm going to, I think I still think I'm going to be an NFL Hall of Famer. Even I think that, based on your research, that's what he was looking. He's like, I win mm-hmm. when I'm playing. I'm winning, and yep. he's probably looking at all the things Jeff brought up and saying, I'm winning in spite of all these obstacles, and yet. Yeah. Seems like nobody wants to build. Nobody put. Nobody want, ever wanted to make him a franchise quarterback. He never truly got the chance to be a franchise quarterback, which is unfortunate because he had numbers that reflect. H- hindsight is twenty twenty. I did an interview with Vy for. Uh, we did a series of articles on the tenth anniversary of the national championship. So I talked to him summer twenty fifteen, mm-hmm. and it meant to be kind of Vince Young kind of life after football. Because remember, he hadn't done the Canada thing yet at that point. Yeah, he didn't want to do it, remember? And Thought he was I remember it. talking to VY, and the article didn't come out near what I wanted to, and I didn't promote it like I probably needed to because I left that interview feeling, you know what, it was It was basically, I basically had to change the article to, you know what, no matter what happens in Vince Young's career, he's always got that one night where, that one night on January 4, 2006 in Pasadena, California, where Vince Young might have been the best athlete on the planet for that one night. He'll well, always have history. That, it's no comparable as the greatest performance right. of all time. And that's know. kind of what I had to center the article around because I left yeah. that interview, Rod, feeling like – and I remember my thought was, I hope he's got closure on football. But I left that interview thinking, I don't think he's ever going to have closure on it. No. no. Because it was not it, – it wasn't on his terms. No the way. Thing, he's, and I don't know how he feels now, but I think a part of Vince Young will always feel like the game – the game was done with him way before he was ready to be done with the game. I said uh, probably three, four years ago, I, and I forgot in what context. I said, V.Y.'s got to be one of the most miserable people watching NFL football right now, just mm-hmm. based on the style of football. 
that was now, you know, pr- being proliferated throughout the NFL. It, it, all these quarterbacks, you go yep. watch them. And how close to Watson, was. Was Watson or Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray or, hell, even Pat Mahomes or mm-hmm. Dak Prescott, um, hell, Josh Allen. You go look at all these young quarterbacks who are really, really athletic. They're all using the zone read. They're all playing. They're all running, you know, uh, run pass options. It's, just, it's all those kind of concepts that – V.Y. could have mastered and helped popularize a lot of those concepts. And I'm sure he's watching going, <laughs> they never, they, they, nobody would ever build the offense around me like that. If they mm-hmm. did, I'd, I'd have ripped the NFL to shreds at the time. And he, he probably would have because the NFL would have took a time to adapt. Hell, the NFL's having a hard time adapting to it now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Back then, and that's what must be even more frustrating because – He's still in that age that it's like his peers, like you're on the back end, but, you know, like he's only a year older than LeBron, you know, like the idea that he was very close to having it happen, but it was so far away, and that was only yeah. like eight years ago. But in, in a, in, yeah, man. I think the, the, I don't know, kind of the tragic irony, I guess, Rod, is a lot of the changes we've seen in football at the quarterback position have been because of Vince Young. I remember high school coaches, because I was covering Mm -hmm. preps at the time, high school coaches all over Central Texas after that national championship run, a lot of them decided, you know what, Texas gave me the idea. I could take my best athlete and just put him at quarterback where forget making him a running back or a wide receiver. If my best athlete can have the ball in his hands every play, that gives me – a tremendous advantage. So I think in a lot of ways, VY changed that thinking of it, at least at the high school level. And then at the college level to where it's like, yeah, you can have your best athlete on the field. Yeah. He can be at the quarterback position. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was happening on a broader scale, but I agree with you. I think he was part of the movement. No question. about Yeah. It. Yeah. And it yeah, just became something that you saw and it was a simple thing that can, I mean, it's not hard to understand mm-hmm. or implement. You can do that pretty quickly and coaches identifying yeah, that, Rich, that lower Rich Rod level. was, I mean, uh-huh. Rich Rod was a big part of that back. True, true. You know what I mean? Like, I think Rich Rod was one of the first people to go, all right, you know what? Because what was it, Pat White that he had there? Well, he had – actually, if you go back to Tulane when he had Sean King. Tulane. Yeah. yeah, like, you know what yeah. I mean? I think he was one of the first people to picture the quarterback renaissance that, you know what, I'm going to put – I'm going to combine all these spread concepts that everybody's doing mm-hmm. and the zone read, but I'm going to put my best damn athlete at quarterback. I'm yep. going to put the, the the best damn athlete on the team. And that's what the quarterback renaissance is about. Now in the NFL, you are seeing some and of the and best really when you saw it take off with Rich Rod was right before – Vy when he had Woody Dantzler at Clemson. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I believe, in, in my recollection, I believe Rich Rod was probably the first that I remember this that he purposefully, intentionally said, uh, at least it looked like it. I'm putting my best. I want an athlete here at quarterback. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Don't, don't give me a guy that just can throw the football. I need a guy that can throw the football, that can run the football, that becomes a a running back when he's got the ball in his hands. I'll probably line him up at wide out, and he'd be fine too. And some of those guys probably got drafted into the NFL to play now, different Woody, positions. Woody Dantzler, I remember, got a cup of coffee with the Cowboys. Oh, yeah, yeah, Pat White was. Yeah. yeah, so I'm I'm with you, though. V.Y. was definitely – I think Greg Davis probably got his inspiration from Rich Rod. Yeah, and, you know, you bringing up the idea that coaches and even at the high school level realize that why not just funnel our usage through our best athlete and put him at quarterback. And it totally reminds me yep. of the shift that you see right now, Mike D'Antoni in the NBA and the rest of the NBA. First mm-hmm. off, you have ball handlers, your star player. It has to be the facilitator of a team. And you yep. see that from your Antetokounmpo's to your LeBron's. But even a guy like D'Antoni, when people always ask, well, why didn't you call a timeout and draw a play? Why? To just put the ball back in James's hands? And it's like they just funnel all their usage through the ball handlers mm-hmm. and the guys. And the whole intent 
point is to have it going through your superstar and then as have it in possible. their hands initially. Don't go through that mm-hmm. belabored step of him playing a different position where you have to find a way to pass it to him or you have to inbound a ball to a guy to then just put it back into his hands. Yeah. It makes no sense. It's just going to let him funnel through the superstars, and that's sort of what quarterbacks have done yeah. is funneling that usage through them as well. Which is so ridiculous. Though. When you look at, though, how it comes full circle, guys, it's interesting. That's common sense is my point. Yeah, it, you know, it's spot on, man. <laughs> right. It's so simple. but how it, how it comes full circle for Texas is Vince Young in that 2005 offense, as long as Tom Herman's a head coach, it's going to live on at Texas because Tom Herman in formulating what his vision of what mm. ultimately has become the pro spread, a lot of it's rooted in that 2005 yeah. Texas offense because mm-hmm. when Tom Herman got the OC job at Texas State in 05 uh, – Barrett Neely. Well, keep, keep this in mind. Tom Herman had never even coached quarterbacks before. Yeah, he'd just point. been under Greg Davis. Then he's the offensive coordinator. So, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with Barrett Neely a couple of weeks ago. It was right around the time that the ESPN re-aired the game. Yeah. Okay. And because go look at what Texas State was doing at that time. Barrett Neely was a finalist for the Walter Payton Award, and they were very, very close They're to winning the They're in the National. final four and one right. bad possession away from Texas and Texas State. Could have been national championships. Could have been national championships. championships and FBS and FCS in the same I year. And I remember talking to Barrett about you know, with the install process, and he's like, pretty much the install was basically Tom Herman meeting with Greg Davis and was like, hey, tell me what you guys are doing. And <laughs> Barrick even talked about it. He's like, we really saw the similarities like because Texas and Texas State, Rod, I remember you remember some of these, would get together in the summertime and play 7 oh, yeah. 7 Yeah, yeah. we do 7 7 <laughs> And yeah. Barrick said he's over on the sideline watching Vince Young run. He's like, they're running the same route concepts and cadence, everything. Everything is pretty much the same. It's pretty wild. I didn't I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah and they huh. went to the final That's four cool. and had the ball in a That's chance. Cool. And instead of maybe going to score at the end of regulation, there was a decision made and at that huh. point they barely lose out. But they were we really thought that at that point that wow, Texas State's gonna play for a championship and Texas is the yeah. same season. And as Texas State students it was very And bizarre. I've never I've never really talked to, to Tom about this but from talking to Barrick he's you like should. Was, that's good. He's like stuff. it was very Barrick talk, told me it was very primitive a very primitive version of like you know, obviously the zone re was a big part of what they did. Like, but it was a very primitive version of like RPOs mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of one, as it evolved. I can it. It's mm-hmm. like you had different tags one quick stuff, read. You had those. Yeah, he's like it was. Yeah, like it was probably on one read stuff. Did a one read to the backside, mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and, sure he said, but he and said he gives it, you the internal clock of when to go. Not there, not there. Go. But talking to Barrick, he's like, look, once we got the zone read aspect of it down, and Tom felt comfortable, he's and like that thing. He's like, that's when you saw us start putting up 35, 40 points a game. It's muscle memory and, yeah. at that point because mm-hmm. it, it puts the defense in a conundrum. They have to – the defender has to make a choice. You put them in like three or four different situations where you put a defender in conflict. The zone read's going to put a defender in mm-hmm. conflict. Then the RPO's going to put a second-level defender in conflict. And then the backside reach probably going to put another safety in conflict based on the route concepts. So you've got three levels of conflicts. One of those guys is going to screw up. Yeah. One of them is going to make the wrong choice or he's going to make – you know what I mean? Especially Especially with a guy like Vy, you can make the right damn read as a defender and still get screwed over with Vy. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's but that's modern football. Well, and that's, that's what it is. does to the defense; it puts them in conflict and the makes them 
not be aggressive. It gets you on your heels, and now you're by definition being defensive instead of, say, pinning yeah. years back and attacking the offense and being offensive as a defensive player. So those simple things of consuming the mind or those mesh points, then it gets to almost like a football freestyle, and you're talking sucks, about man. having good athletes, and you feel comfortable in what you're doing, and at that point you just yeah. let the athleticism take over. But in, in, in looking at Tom Herman, guys, I know he's got Sam Ellinger right now, and Sam obviously is very good in this offense, but I keep thinking about the 2005 Texas offense and mm. kind of Tom's first offense at Texas State and what that thing evolved into. Mm-hmm. And, and I look at Jaquindon Jackson, and I know, I know Tom's big thing is he doesn't need a home run hitter. He's had, you know, singles and doubles hitters, and that's fine with the quarterback run game. You With Jaquindon Jackson, you've got a home run hitter. And I've watched him at the high school level and thinking, man, if, if he figures it out at quarterback, if that kid figures it out, that's the kind of skills you build a championship offense around. So yeah, I know as as we we we'll talk about 2020 and maximizing Sam, and we'll see how everything goes. But as you turn the page and you start looking toward 21 in the future at that position, man, I I know Hudson Carter's really good, and I know Casey Thompson has waited his turn. Mm-hmm. But man, I just think about Tom Herman's history with dynamic quarterbacks, yeah, and what Jaquindon Jackson could be. And it's hard not to be really, really excited about what that could look like. I, you know, one of the things I love about Tom Herman, I know we're getting ready to wrap it up, but the, the tie that he has to Greg Davis gives me hope that if Jaquinta Jackson is the right guy, that the offense is malleable enough where it can, you can mold it around the, the skill set of that quarterback around the strengths. Because we just talked about the, the unforgivable sin, going back to the VY story, is that you know, Jeff Fisher, a, a good football coach, obviously he's, he's a good football coach, looked at V.Y. Defensive. and decided to run a system that was basically uh, – that was count- Yeah, it's counterproductive. Like it, it, didn't, it didn't highlight his strengths and didn't showcase his strengths. And you go look at the West uh, – people always talk about the West Coast offense and how much they love the West Coast offense. And the West Coast offense is probably the most utilized offense down the line in the NFL throughout its history. And – it was just Bill Walsh trying to solve a problem. He had a quarterback, Virgil Carter, that was really, really accurate, that didn't have a, a ton of arm strength. He couldn't get the football down the field, but he was really, really smart. And he said, all right, you know what? Um, I'm going to build this offense around the strengths of Virgil freaking Carter. And boom, the West Coast offense is born. And you'd be surprised how often that is the case. It's the case with the zone blitz defense. It's Bob Matheson. Go look it up. It's a defensive end slash linebacker hybrid that the Dolphins were trying to figure out a way to use. Bill Onsparger. And boom, they came up with the zone blitz scheme. Changed football forever. Same thing with the Tampa 2 defense with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Jack Lambert was a, a gifted middle linebacker that could drive deep into coverage. They was like, you know what? Let him cover the middle of the damn field. We think he can do it. He can run with, with tight ends and wide receivers. Boom. That's your Tampa too. Often that is the case for a lot of football evolution and for a lot of football inspiration. So, I, you know, I think that Greg Davis did that a ton. We know that literally year to year it would change, right? Chris Sims, different offense than Vince Young. Vince Young, different offense than Cole McCoy. And that was one of the best things about 
uh, Greg Davis. So I think there's some of that in Tom Herman. I'm hoping that when whoever down the line takes over, and even this year with the offense, I think it's going to look different than it has with Devin DuVernay and Colin Johnson and Lou Jordan Humphrey as wide receivers. Hell, if, if Brennan Eagles ends up protesting, who the hell is in your wide receiving core? You got to change the way that offense uh, approaches the passing game, and I'm hoping that that part of his DNA, that Greg Davis in Tom Herman, will come out. I think that you need that to be malleable, to always be able to shift the philosophy based on the talent you have. Mm-hmm. So that's what it's about. Solve the problem, coach. Yeah, we got time real quick. Can I make this one quick point before we get out of here? No, go ahead, go you got a couple minutes, Rod. Go ahead, yeah. So, you know, when you look at Texas, where they're landing in some of these preseason polls at 24-7 sports, we'll get into more of this next week, but at 24-7 sports, our, our preseason top 25 came out. Our mm-hmm. eight national guys voted on it. Texas was tied for 13th with Auburn. And I think when you look at, especially in the pandemic where we didn't see any spring football, all we have really to go on is just kind of gut feel and what, yep. what's returning and just looking at things on paper. So – I think when you start to peg these teams and, and you start thinking, okay, where is Texas in the Big 12 pecking order, I think you look at a couple things. I think, one, you look at returning defensive production, and Texas has a lot of returning defensive production. I think Bill Connolly ranks Texas 14th nationally mm-hmm. in returning defensive production. I think, two, I think you, what is your quarterback status? And I think Texas yeah. feels pretty good. And back to your Should point, be. Rod, about uh, you know the wide receiver position, I think where are your proven commodities on offense – and how much do you trust slash how good are your proven commodities mm. relative to everybody else in the conference? And I think for Texas, your proven commodities are everything between the hashes. I think even though we only saw a little bit of Jake I Smith, like I that. think we saw enough flashes of Jake yeah. Smith. Regardless of what you think about Cade Brewer, you know he at least can play at this level. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the two running backs you bring back. So you're proven commodities. With yeah. Cosme, Cosme and Kerstetter, and even I'll throw Angelo in there. So yeah. throw in Sam, and then all, like all your proven commodities are between between yeah, the hashes. You're right about that. I'm with you on that, man. You know, and you know what I would do if I was if I was Tom Herman. Well, we talked about how you go to. I know we got to end this thing. When you go to coaches and how you know my man Shano went to went to went down to Baylor and said, "Hey, I need I need RG three. I need the playbook." Mm-hmm. If I was him, I would I would try to reach out to Kyle. And reach out to Shano. Nobody runs 21 personnel better than the San Francisco 49ers. Nobody mm-hmm. in football, period, at the, any level. Mm-hmm. I'd reach out to him and try to figure out, because they use a lot of 21 personnel, ends up being 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, because Usechek can pay tight end or fullback, and so can Kittle. But you have guys that can play. You, I think the, I think the Longhorns can go from 21 to 11, like the, like the 49ers go from 21 to, to 12, almost fluidly mm-hmm. between the downs, which will give you a matchup advantage and a numbers advantage, and Sam's smart enough to make that determination. So I think that's where, you, that's where you should go, because you can end up getting a true matchup advantage they want to match up 21. Oh, dude, I can get Jordan Whittington or Jake Smith on a linebacker, that kind of thing. So I think, and honestly, go pay attention to Mike Norvell at Memphis. Because Mike Norvell at Memphis does a lot of two-back stuff in the backfield. And I don't know if anybody does it better. So now he's at Florida State. But at Memphis, you know, he, I mean, he had like three or four different occasions where mm-hmm. he had d- multiple backs end up in the NFL. And they were all those hybrid backs. Real quick, yep. How much two-back stuff the Patriots do the last couple of years? Mm, they, a, they used to fullback a lot a couple of years ago. They don't do a lot. Of, I'm talking because I, I think you're going to end up going more two tailbacks and two yeah. halfbacks a lot of time. And then one of those guys ends up being designated as a fullback when they have to block. So 
you know, it's on the running backs coach bed to teach these guys how to block. And you mm-hmm. wrote, you wrote a great column about how Tom Herman loves to use running backs in the passing game. Anyway, now you got to take that to another level. And uh, if you can if you can teach these guys how to block Rojo and Bijan and Keontae Ingram, think about at any point any of those guys can end up as a fullback. Numbers advantage I think in the running game. The reason yeah. why I brought which your plus one. The reason why I brought up the Patriots angle was. We know Chris Ash is pretty tight with Joe Judge from their time in the Northeast. That's yeah, true. Mm-hmm. You like Joe Judge. It's one of these progressive football minds. Yeah, he's outside the box. And, yeah, kind of outside the box type guy. So there's another avenue. Just saying. Go down. Yeah, man. To. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049 AM1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can catch Rod B. On the triple option each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also catch myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get our archives, classic interviews, classic shows, everything you could want on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcast by searching Horns 24-7 Podcast. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Anywhere you get your podcast, just search Horns 24-7 Podcast to get us, State of Recruiting, and the flagship. Do that again by searching Horns 24-7 Podcast. And don't forget to like us and Leave us a review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.